Question 123, Part 1 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treaties on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Fortitude. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treaties on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Fortitude, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 123, of Fortitude, in Twelve Articles, Part 1, Articles 1 through 6. After considering justice, we must, in due sequence, consider fortitude. We must, one, Consider the virtue itself of fortitude. 2. Its parts. 3. The gift corresponding thereto. 4. The precepts that pertain to it. Concerning fortitude, three things have to be considered. 1. Fortitude itself. 2. Its principal act, notably martyrdom. 3. The vices opposed to fortitude. Under the first head there are twelve points of inquiry. First, whether fortitude is a virtue. Second, whether it is a special virtue. Third, whether fortitude is only about fear and daring. Fourth, whether it is only about fear of death. Fifth, whether it is only in warlike matters. Sixth, whether endurance is its chief act. Seventh, whether its action is directed to its own good. Eighth, whether it takes pleasure in its own action. Ninth, whether fortitude deals chiefly with sudden occurrences. Tenth, whether it makes use of anger in its action. Eleventh, whether it is a cardinal virtue. Twelfth, of its comparison with the other cardinal virtues. First article, whether fortitude is a virtue. Objection one. It seems that fortitude is not a virtue. For the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 12.9, Virtue is perfected in infirmity. But fortitude is contrary to infirmity. Therefore, fortitude is not a virtue. Objection to. Further, if it is a virtue, it is either theological, intellectual, or moral. Now fortitude is not contained among the theological virtues, nor among the intellectual virtues, as may be gathered from what we have said above, pars prima secundae, question 57, article 2, and question 62, article 3. Neither, apparently, is it contained among the moral virtues, since according to the philosopher, in Ethics 3, 7, and 8, 
Some seem to be brave through ignorance or through experience as soldiers, both of which cases seem to pertain to act rather than to moral virtue. And some are called brave on account of certain passions, for instance, on account of fear of threats or of dishonor, or again on account of sorrow, anger, or hope. But moral virtue does not act from passion, but from choice, as stated above in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 55, article 4. Therefore, fortitude is not a virtue. Objection 3. Further, human virtue resides chiefly in the soul, since it is a good quality of the mind, as stated above, from Ethics 3, 7, and 8. But fortitude, seemingly, resides in the body, or at least results from the temperament of the body. Therefore, it seems that fortitude is not a virtue. On the contrary, Augustine, in his Of the Morals of the Catholic Church and On the Morals of the Manichaeans, 15.21 and 22, numbers fortitude among the virtues. I answer that, according to the philosopher in Ethics 2.6, virtue is that which makes its possessor good and renders his work good. Hence human virtue, of which we are speaking now, is that which makes a man good and renders his work good. Now man's good is to be in accordance with reason, according to Dionysius, on the Divine Names 4.22. Wherefore, it belongs to human virtue to make man good, to make his work accord with reason. This happens in three ways. First, by rectifying reason itself, and this is done by the intellectual virtues. Secondly, by establishing the rectitude of reason in human affairs, and this belongs to justice. Thirdly, by removing the obstacles to the establishment of this rectitude in human affairs. Now the human will is hindered in two ways from following the rectitude of reason. First, through being drawn by some object of pleasure to something other than what the rectitude of reason requires. And this obstacle is removed by the virtue of temperance. Secondly, through the will being disinclined to follow that which is in accord with reason, on account of some difficulty that presents itself. In order to remove this obstacle, fortitude of the mind is requisite, whereby to resist the aforesaid difficulty, even as a man, by fortitude of body, overcomes and removes bodily obstacles. Hence it is evident that fortitude is a virtue, insofar as it conforms man to reason. Reply to Objection 1. The virtue of the soul is perfected, not in the infirmity of the soul, but in the infirmity of the body, of which the Apostle was speaking. Now it belongs to fortitude of the mind to bear bravely with infirmities of the flesh, 
and this belongs to the virtue of patience or fortitude, as also to acknowledge one's own infirmity, and this belongs to the perfection that is called humility. Reply to Objection 2. Sometimes a person performs the exterior act of a virtue without having the virtue, and from some other cause than virtue. Hence the philosopher, in Ethics 3.8, mentions five ways in which people are said to be brave by way of resemblance, through performing acts of fortitude without having the virtue. This may be done in three ways. First, because they tend to that which is difficult as though it were not difficult. And this again happens in three ways, for sometimes this is owing to ignorance, through not perceiving the greatness of the danger. Sometimes it is owing to the fact that one is hopeful of overcoming dangers, when, for instance, one has often experienced escape from danger. And sometimes this is owing to a certain science and art, as in the case of soldiers who, through skill and practice and the use of arms, think little of the dangers of battle, as they reckon themselves capable of defending themselves against them. Thus, Vegetius says, on the military institutions of the Romans, one, No man fears to do what he is confident of having learned to do well. Secondly, a man performs an act of fortitude, without having the virtue, through the impulse of a passion, whether of sorrow that he wishes to cast off, or again of anger. Thirdly, through choice, not indeed of a due end, but of some temporal advantage to be obtained, such as honor, pleasure, or gain, or of some disadvantage to be avoided, such as blame, pain, or loss. Reply to Objection 3. The fortitude of the soul, which is reckoned a virtue, as explained in the reply to the first objection, is so called from its likeness to fortitude of the body. Nor is it inconsistent with the notion of virtue that a man should have a natural inclination to virtue by reason of his natural temperament, as stated above, in Bars Prima Secundae, Question 63, Article 1. Second article, whether fortitude is a special virtue. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude is not a special virtue. For it is written in Wisdom 7.7, 7, She teacheth temperance and prudence and justice and fortitude, where the text has virtue for fortitude. Since then the term virtue is common to all virtues, it seems that fortitude is a general virtue. Objection 2. Further, Ambrose says, on the duties of the clergy, 1. Fortitude is not lacking in courage, for alone she defends the honor of the virtues and guards their behests. She it is that wages an inexorable war on all vice, undeterred by toil, brave in face of dangers, steeled against pleasures, unyielding to lusts, 
avoiding covetousness as a deformity that weakens virtue. And he says the same further on in connection with other vices. Now this cannot apply to any special virtue, therefore fortitude is not a special virtue. Objection 3. Further, fortitude would seem to derive its name from firmness, but it belongs to every virtue to stand firm, as stated in Ethics 2. Therefore, fortitude is a general virtue. On the contrary, Gregory, in his commentary on Job 22, numbers it among the other virtues. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 61, articles 3 and 4, the term fortitude can be taken in two ways. First, as simply denoting a certain firmness of mind, and in this sense it is a general virtue, or rather a condition of every virtue, since as the philosopher states in Ethics 2, it is requisite for every virtue to act firmly and immovably. Secondly, fortitude may be taken to denote firmness only in bearing and withstanding those things wherein it is most difficult to be firm, namely, in certain grave dangers. Therefore, Tully says, in Rhetoric 2, that Fortitude is deliberate facing of dangers and bearing of toils. In this sense, fortitude is reckoned a special virtue because it has a special matter. Reply to Objection 1. According to the philosopher, in On the Heavens 1, 116, the word virtue refers to the extreme limit of a power. Now a natural power is, in one sense, the power of resisting corruptions, and in another sense is a principle of action, as stated in Metaphysics 5.17. And since this latter meaning is the more common, the term virtue, as denoting the extreme limit of such a power, is a common term, for virtue taken in a general sense is nothing else than a habit whereby one acts well. But as denoting the extreme limit of a power in the first sense, which sense is more specific, it is applied to a special virtue, namely fortitude, to which it belongs to stand firm against all kinds of assaults. Reply to Objection 2 Ambrose takes fortitude in a broad sense, as denoting firmness of mind in face of assaults of all kinds. Nevertheless, even as a special virtue with a determinate matter, it helps to resist the assaults of all vices. For he that can stand firm in things that are most difficult to bear is prepared, in consequence, to resist those which are less difficult. Reply to Objection 3. This objection takes fortitude in the first sense. Third article. Whether fortitude is about fear and daring. 
Objection 1. It seems that fortitude is not about fear and daring. For Gregory says in his commentary on Job 7, The fortitude of the just man is to overcome the flesh, to withstand self-indulgence, to quench the lusts of the present life. Therefore, fortitude seems to be about pleasures rather than about fear and daring. Objection to. Further, Tully says in his On the Art of Rhetoric too, that it belongs to fortitude to face dangers and to bear toil. But this seemingly has nothing to do with the passions of fear and daring, but rather with a man's toilsome deeds and external dangers. Therefore, fortitude is not about fear and daring. Objection 3. Further, not only daring, but also hope, is opposed to fear, as stated above. Pars Prima Secunde, Question 25, Article 1, Second Reply. In the Treatise on Passions. Therefore, fortitude should not be about daring any more than about hope. On the contrary, the philosopher says, in Ethics 2.7 and 3.9, that fortitude is about fear and daring. I answer that, as stated above in Article 1, it belongs to the virtue of fortitude to remove any obstacle that withdraws the will from following the reason. Now to be withdrawn from something difficult belongs to the notion of fear, which denotes withdrawal from an evil that entails difficulty, as stated above, Pars Prima Secunde, Question 42, Articles 3 and 5, in the Treatise on Passions. Hence fortitude is chiefly about fear of difficult things, which can withdraw the will from following the reason. And it behooves one not only firmly to bear the assault of these difficulties, by restraining fear, but also moderately to withstand them, when to wit it is necessary to dispel them altogether in order to free oneself therefrom for the future, which seems to come under the notion of daring. Therefore fortitude is about fear and daring, as curbing fear and moderating daring. Reply to Objection 1. Gregory is speaking then of the fortitude of the just man, as to its common relation to all virtues. Hence he first of all mentions matters pertaining to temperance, as in the words quoted, and then adds that which pertains properly to fortitude as a special virtue by saying, to love the trials of this life for the sake of an eternal reward. Reply to Objection 2. Dangers and toils do not withdraw the will from the course of reason, except insofar as they are an object of fear. Hence fortitude needs to be immediately about fear and daring, but immediately about dangers and toils, these being the objects of those passions. Reply to Objection 3. Hope is opposed to fear on the part of the object, for hope is of good, fear of evil. 
whereas daring is about the same object and is opposed to fear by way of approach and withdrawal, as stated above. Pars Prima Secunde, Question 45, Article 1. And since fortitude properly regards those temporal evils that withdraw one from virtue, as appears from Tully's definition quoted in the second objection, it follows that fortitude properly is about fear and daring and not about hope, except insofar as it is connected with daring, as stated above. Pars Prima Secunde, Question 45, Article 2. Fourth Article whether fortitude is only about dangers of death. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude is not only about dangers of death. For Augustine says, of the morals of the Catholic Church and on the morals of the Manichaeans, 15, that fortitude is love bearing all things readily for the sake of the object beloved. And in music, 6, he says that fortitude is the love which dreads no hardship, not even death. Therefore, fortitude is not only about danger of death, but also about other afflictions. Objection to. Further, all the passions of the soul need to be reduced to a mean by some virtue. Now there is no other virtue reducing fears to a mean, Therefore, fortitude is not only about fear and death, but also about other fears. Objection 3. Further, no virtue is about extremes, but fear of death is about an extreme, since it is the greatest of fears, as stated in Ethics 3. Therefore, the virtue of fortitude is not about fear of death. On the contrary, Andronicus says that fortitude is a virtue of the irascible faculty that is not easily deterred by the fear of death. I answer that, as stated above in Article 3, it belongs to the virtue of fortitude to guard the will against being withdrawn from the good of reason through fear of bodily evil. Now it behooves one to hold firmly the good of reason against every evil whatsoever, since no bodily good is equivalent to the good of reason. Hence fortitude of soul must be that which binds the will firmly to the good of reason in face of the greatest evils. Because he that stands firm against great things will in consequence stand firm against less things, but not conversely. Moreover, it belongs to the notion of virtue that it should regard something extreme, and the most fearful of all bodily evils is death, since it does away all bodily goods. Wherefore Augustine says in On the Morals of the Catholic Church and the Morals of the Manichaeans, 22, that the soul is shaken by its fellow body with fear of toil and pain, lest the body be stricken and harassed with fear of death, lest it be done away with and destroyed. Therefore, the virtue of fortitude is about the fear of dangers and death. Reply to Objection 1. 
fortitude behaves well in bearing all manner of adversity. Yet a man is not reckoned brave simply through bearing any kind of adversity, but only through bearing well even the greatest evils. While through bearing others he is said to be brave in a restricted sense. Reply to Objection 2. Since fear is born of love, any virtue that moderates love of certain goods must in consequence moderate the fear of contrary evils. Thus liberality, which moderates the love of money, as a consequence moderates the fear of losing it. And the same is the case with temperance and other virtues. But to love one's own life is natural, and hence the necessity of a special virtue modifying the fear of death. Reply to Objection 3. In virtues, the extreme consists in exceeding right reason, wherefore to undergo the greatest dangers in accordance with reason is not contrary to virtue. Fifth Article whether fortitude is properly about dangers of death in battle. Objection 1. It seems that fortitude is not properly about dangers of death in battle. For martyrs above all are commended for their fortitude. But martyrs are not commended in connection with battle. Therefore, fortitude is not properly about dangers of death in battle. Objection to. Further, Ambrose says in his On the Duties of the Clergy, 1, that fortitude is applicable both to warlike and to civil matters. And Tully, in his On the Duties of the Clergy, 1, under the heading That it pertains to fortitude to excel in battle rather than in civil life, says Although not a few think that business of war is of greater importance than the affairs of civil life, this opinion must be qualified. And if we wish to judge the matter truly, there are many things in civil life that are more important and more glorious than those connected with war. Now greater fortitude is about greater things. Therefore, Fortitude is not properly concerned with death in battle. Objection 3. Further, war is directed to the preservation of a country's temporal peace. For Augustine says, on the City of God 19, that wars are waged in order to ensure peace. Now it does not seem that one ought to expose oneself to the danger of death for the temporal peace of one's country, since this same peace is the occasion of much license and morals. Therefore, it seems that the virtue of fortitude is not about the danger of death in battle. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3 that fortitude is chiefly about death in battle. I answer that, as stated above in Article 4, fortitude strengthens a man's mind against the greatest danger, which is that of death. Now fortitude is a virtue, 
and it is essential to virtue ever to tend to good. Wherefore, it is in order to pursue some good that man does not fly from the danger of death. But the dangers of death arising out of sickness, storms at sea, attacks from robbers, and the like, do not seem to come on a man through his pursuing some good. On the other hand, the dangers of death which occur in battle come to man directly on account of some good, because to wit, he is defending the common good by a just fight. Now a just fight is of two kinds. First, there is the general combat, for instance, of those who fight in battle. Secondly, there is the private combat, is when a judge or even private individual does not refrain from giving a just judgment through fear of the impending sword or any other danger though it threaten death. Hence it belongs to fortitude to strengthen the mind against dangers of death, not only such as arise in a general battle, but also such as occur in singular combat, which may be called by the general name of battle. Accordingly, it must be granted that fortitude is properly about dangers of death occurring in battle. Moreover, a brave man behaves well in face of danger in any other kind of death, especially since man may be in danger of any kind of death on account of virtue. Thus may a man not fail to attend on a sick friend through fear of deadly infection, or not refuse to undertake a journey with some godly object in view through fear of shipwreck or robbers. Reply to Objection 1. Martyrs face the fight that is waged against their own person, and this for the sake of the sovereign good, which is God, wherefore their fortitude is praised above all. Nor is it outside the genus of fortitude that regards warlike actions, for which reason they are said to have been valiant in battle. Confer Office of the Martyrs, and also, for example, Hebrews 11.34. Reply to Objection 2. Personal and civil business is differentiated from the business of war that regards general wars. However, personal and civil affairs admit of dangers of death arising out of certain conflicts, which are private wars, and so with regard to these also there may be fortitude properly so called. Reply to Objection 3. The peace of the state is good in itself, nor does it become evil because certain persons make evil use of it. For there are many others who make good use of it, and many evils prevented by it, such as murders and sacrileges, are much greater than those which are occasioned by it, and which belong chiefly to the sins of the flesh. Sixth Article. Whether Endurance is the Chief Act of Fortitude. Objection 1. It seems that endurance is not the chief act of fortitude. For virtue is about the difficult and the good. Ethics 2.3. Now it is more difficult to attack than to endure. Therefore endurance is not the chief act of fortitude. 
Objection 2. Further, to be able to act on another seems to argue greater power than not to be changed by another. Now to attack is to act on another, and to endure is to persevere unchangeably. Since then fortitude denotes perfection of power, it seems that it belongs to fortitude to attack rather than to endure. Objection 3. Further, one contrary is more distant from the other than its mere negation. Now to endure is merely not to fear, whereas to attack denotes a movement contrary to that of fear, since it implies pursuit. Since then fortitude above all withdraws the mind from fear, it seems that it regards attack rather than endurance. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 3.9 that certain persons are said to be brave chiefly because they endure affliction. I answer that, as stated above in Article 3, and according to the philosopher in Ethics 3.9, fortitude is more concerned to allay fear than to moderate daring. For it is more difficult to allay fear than to moderate daring, since the danger which is the object of daring and fear tends by its very nature to check daring but to increase fear. Now to attack belongs to fortitude in so far as the latter moderates daring, whereas to endure follows the repression of fear. Therefore the principal act of fortitude is endurance that is, to stand immovable in the midst of dangers rather than to attack them. Reply to Objection 1. Endurance is more difficult than aggression for three reasons. First, because endurance seemingly implies that one is being attacked by a stronger person, whereas aggression denotes that one is attacking as though one were the stronger party. And it is more difficult to contend with a stronger than with a weaker. Secondly, because he that endures already feels the presence of danger, whereas the aggressor looks upon danger as something to come. And it is more difficult to be unmoved by the present than by the future. Thirdly, because endurance implies length of time whereas aggression is consistent with sudden movements. And it is more difficult to remain unmoved for a long time than to be moved suddenly to something arduous. Hence the philosopher says in Ethics 3.8 that some hurry to meet danger, yet fly when the danger is present. This is not the behavior of brave men. Reply to Objection 2. Endurance denotes indeed a passion of the body, but an action of the soul cleaving most resolutely, fortissime, to the good, the result being that it does not yield to the threatening passion of the body. Now virtue concerns the soul rather than the body. Reply to Objection 3. 
He that endures fears not, though he is confronted with the cause of fear, whereas this cause is not present to the aggressor. End of question 123, part 1. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.